Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you stand with me one final time this morning? We are in our first series of the year. We always like to kick off the year with um, a series that's dealing with like spiritual disciplines. And so this year we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is important. Where there's prayer, there is power. Amen? And so the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like you. They heard what he was saying. They listened to what he was doing. And they're like, God, we want, we want to pray like that. And so we've been um, dedicating this series to the Lord's Prayer, and we're just picking it apart slowly, piece by piece. We looked the first week at what does it look like to have him as our Father in heaven and to hallow his name, to make him the greatest treasure of our heart. Um, last week, we looked at when we pray that his kingdom come and his will will be done, there's a personal and a corporate aspect to that, saying, God, in my life, would your kingdom be seen by my actions, by my reactions, and would your will be done by how I live? Will you bring my life into what your commands say? And so today, we're going to look at the continuation of that now. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And so um, th there's a lot of truth that we're going to be diving into today. Before we dive into a couple more texts, I want to tell you about two specific things, though. Um, we've got spiritual formation in the home coming up. Um, this is going to be taking place this coming Wednesday. If you are a parent, can, uh, can I plead with you? Um, if possible, make it to this. Uh, we've put a lot of energy and effort into this five-part deeper series. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be interactive. How many of you know parents are the primary disciplers of their children? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And so we, we designed the series to go, okay, how can we come alongside you and, and, sh and show how, what does it look like to turn our homes into a blossoming environment where spiritual formation is happening? Because right now, in a Western American context, it's not happening. 80% of teenagers who graduate from high school who attended church will leave the faith. That's what the stats tell us. So what does it look like to turn our homes and to become places where that doesn't take place, where our children grew up loving Jesus with the totality of their lives, that that's our greatest desire? We're going to dive into that. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interactive. If you come this week, you get to play with Play-Doh. When was the last time... A pastor ever told you as an adult that you get to come to church and play with some Play-Doh. I'm just being honest, okay? It's going to be good. I promise it'll make sense later. Um, <laughs> so we have that. And then one more other final announcement is um, we are looking for volunteers to help us clean the church. For the last two years, my wife and I have been the primary cleaners in the entire church. But we are looking to see if there's some people that would be willing to come alongside us and help with that. If you are a clean freak, we love you. You're the kind of people that we want, right? I I'm a little... Um, Okay, um, I like things to be in order, like your chairs are literally mapped out and measured to an actual like specific distance from each other. It's, it's, it's a disease, my wife tells me. Um, 
So we love those kind of people, but we would really love your help. All right, join with me as we're going to read a little bit more in uh, the Word of God, and then I'm going to have you um, grab a seat here in just a second. Read with me from Matthew chapter 4. This is verses 1 through 4. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. How many of you know you'd be very hungry after 40 days? How many of you know you're very hangry after 40 minutes? <clears throat> During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Ephesians chapter 4, 28 through 32 says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to those in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, your word is living, it's true, it's powerful, it's the daily bread that we need. As we feast on it today, would you allow it to shape our hearts, mold our lives, change us to be more like you. God, we pray that your presence would be so real and felt and evident in this room right now. That as we open up your word and dive into it, that God, it would mold us to follow after you, to look like you, to act like you, so that people could see you through our lives. We love you. It's in your mighty name we pray, amen. I want to start this morning by talking about needs that are connected to survival. Needs in our life that are connected to survival. It's said that you can go at least, if not more, than 40 days without food, three days without water, and three to eight minutes without air. All of those are need. When you, when you cut off the supply to those things, you have just a short amount of time till you can't make it anymore. You need them in your life. Food and water and air. These are needs that are connected to survival. Um, one of uh, my, my favorite TV shows that I like to watch, anybody here ever seen the TV show called Alone? They take these people and they drop them off in the middle of nowhere, like 10 different people, and they get, I think it's, is it 10? 10 items? <clears throat> they get 10 items and they're like, these are survival items that you can pick and you've got to survive. You've got to make it. You've got to figure it out wherever you're at. You've got to catch your own food. You've got to find your own water. You've got to protect yourself and have your own safety. It's not like, you know, like Survivor and some of these other TV shows where like there's like a, a medical crew that's like just feet away in case something were to happen. No, 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 no. And alone, if you get attacked by a bear, it was nice knowing you, sir. Like, like it, it's, it's, it's game over for you. Like, there's this one episode, this guy's in his tent, and by tent, I mean, it's like a tarp, and right outside, there is a bear growling, and I'm just like, give me my hotel room. <laughs> nope. Nope. I don't think so. No bears coming up, and like, you know, it just blows my mind. But what's interesting is, when they drop these people off, right, 
suddenly everything changes. You're forced to make decisions. You're forced to make choices that's based on your survival. They start thinking things in ways different than what we do. They start thinking of things like, okay, I have minutes and hours to get what I need so that I do not die. I need shelter. I need access to water. I need some type of subsistence with food. They'll set up trout lines and nets and, and, and traps to catch different animals because they realize my comfort is not the priority in this moment. The priority in the moment is my survival. I need to address my needs. And as they do that, you see quickly what rises to the surface. Again, water, food, shelter, and protection. These are the things that are connected to survival for us as humans. Um, when we think about those needs, there, there are things often that need to be consistent and constant in our life. Like food. We eat food every day. In fact, we eat food three times a day. You know, we, we've got breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, all of it delicious and amazing. Um, it happens daily. We need to pick the right stuff. It, it, you know, how many of you have ever gotten food poisoning in the room? Right? In that moment, you wish you would just die. It's awful. I, I had bad Chinese once, and I, I've never been back to that place. Right? It was like three days of like, Jesus, I'm not sure it's worth it. You know? <laughs> it, was, it was brutal, the, the, those moments, you know, because you, you've had this poison. If you eat on the wrong thing, it will kill you. Eating the right thing is vital. Your survival depends on it. Now, what's really interesting, and you're like, okay, Pastor, where are you going with all this? Is that often throughout Scripture, there's this thing that's happening where it's connecting the physical and the spiritual. There's a connection between the physical and the spiritual. In Scripture, the physical is often a reflection of what's happening in the spiritual. For instance, Jesus, whenever he was teaching, he would often preach in parables. And he did so because what he was doing, he was providing an illustration or an example that we could physically, tangibly see and sometimes even hold to reveal a deeper truth of what's happening on a spiritual level that we can't always see or hold physically. For instance, he talks about the kingdom of God and how it grows and expands. And, and he talks about the parable of the sower. The picture you get is Jesus is probably telling this as someone is literally sowing their field right behind him. And he's like, a farmer comes along and he throws seed on different kinds of ground. One of the grounds is really fertile. Another one, there's like bedrock underneath of it. Another one, it's like a road. Another one, they can physically see what's going on and there's a connection that's being made to something that's deeper than that on a spiritual level. God would do this often throughout scripture. In fact, sometimes even the judgments of God would be seen in a physical sense to reveal a spiritual sense. I'll give you an example of this. Elijah. He goes before an evil king and he tells him, listen, the people of God have abandoned God. You as a kingdom have, you as a king has. And so there's gonna be drought across the land. There's gonna be no rain physically Israel started to look and reflect like the heart of Israel looked and reflected. Barren. Nothing's growing. There's no life. There's no water. There's nothing of 
good source coming in. There's a desperation, a desperate need for something. Listen, the physical situation of Israel represented and looked like the spiritual heart of Israel. So God will often use the physical to represent the spiritual. It's a presentation of something that's understood to convey a deeper truth that's just as, if not even more real than the one that's already present. We see this again all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Passover lamb, the sacrificial system, even the Jewish laws and festivals, they were all a shadow pointing to something more and even greater found in Jesus. So that brings us then to thinking about a meal. I want you to think about the necessity of a meal. Now, all eyes on pastor because I'm going to keep you safe today, okay? Do not look at your spouse if they're sitting nearby you. But how many of you know that certain people change when they're hungry? <laughs> Again, all eyes up here. I'm trying to, uh, listen, spouses, I'm, I'm protecting you. Just, okay? How many of you notice that like, <laughs> They can go from an enemy to a friend quickly after a McDonald's french fry. <laughs> like, they can go from, I hate your guts, don't look at me, and you're the worst person in the world, to, I just love you, and everything is all right in life because some chicken nuggies came in. <laughs> like, hangry's a real thing. They're like, uh, food has a power to like alter our mood, to change. Like when, when there's that replenishment in our bodies, like there, there's this thing that takes place and we need it every single day. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and he says, pray in this way. And he says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us there our daily food. Now this, I want you to just follow me with this. He has his disciples pray this for them, not for him. It's not like God needs to be reminded, hey, I need food today, right? He's not forgetful. He's not in heaven like, oh, crud, I forgot. <laughs> Josh needs food. <laughs> He's, it's, that's not what it, it's there because what it's doing for me is it's reminding me this meal I'm about to eat, it was provided for me by my God. You didn't provide it. Some of you are like, well, hang on a second, Pastor. I worked real hard. I bought that steak with my money. Really? Who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the talents that you had? Who gave you the body that you have? Who has protected you from not being injured so that you could be at work? who has walked over, wa watched over your life every step of the way, who, it's God who provided that meal for you. In just a moment, notice, your talent could be gone. Your physical ability could be eradicated. All of that was a gift from God. And so as we pray this, one of the things that we're reminding ourselves is, is that even the things we take for granted are actually a gift from our king. I'm not reminding God, hey, God, I, I, I feel like you've forgotten. So again, can you, can you remember I need my food today? No, it's reminding me he is the source of all things. <laughs> and so when we pray this prayer, again, 
We realize every single day, three times a day, we typically eat, unless you skip meals. Um, you should never skip breakfast, they tell us. It's the best meal of the day. Biscuits and gravy, come on. Just saying. There's certain meals, you know what I'm talking about, like that, mm, get a little bit of bread, toast it up perfectly. You've got that salted butter you put over top and it just like sinks in, you know what I'm talking about? Or maybe there's some olive oil and you've got some Parmesan cheese and some cracked pepper put on top of it and you're dipping that bread in it and there's a holy moment, folks. That's like the praise God from whom all blessing. Like I erupt into worship. <laughs> like it, it just it comes from me, like within me. There, there's this moment. Listen, it, because when we think about a meal, it's something we constantly need. It replenishes us. It provides nutrients and strength and vitality to us. But it also brings us joy. Think about this for a second. God did not have to give you taste buds. Food is needed for you to sustain life. He could have been like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to give them no taste buds so they could eat anything and everything. It wouldn't bring them joy. They could just do it as like a recharging their battery type thing. He could have. I could finally eat a salad. (laughs) But my point is this. He provided you with taste buds for your joy. Because he loves you. Because there is joy. As we partake in a very good meal with good friends, there's a moment that, like, it's, it's, it really is almost like a holy moment. And it's because it's a shadow of a greater reality. And again, so we need it constantly. It replenishes us. It brings us joy. But also what we eat matters. The power to live stems from what we have eat, what we have processed. If you're out in the wilderness... And you should walk up to what you think's a blackberry bush, but it's not. And you partake in a meal, it could be your last. What you eat matters. <clears throat> it affects our life more than we know. I want to talk to you about the sacredness of a meal. The sacredness of a meal. How many of you know we, we, we lose out so often on the daily wonders and miracles of God all around us? We become so accustomed to the ordinary, we miss the extraordinary. When you woke up this morning and the sun rose, God provided and painted one of the most beautiful pictures every day the world will ever see. And we're just like, oh, the sun's up. When it snows, we whine and complain because the roads are slick. And every one of those snowflakes is the most beautiful. Like if you look at it under a microscope, it's the most beautiful, intricate, like object there is. The person sitting next to you, their fingerprint is different than yours. Stamped upon them in a unique way, the divine image of God that they and only they will ever convey to the rest of the world. We miss sometimes the beauty and the sacredness. Think for a moment just again about a meal. There's a sacredness that comes with this. That We're spoiled as Americans. Let's be real, we are. This is what we do in a typical American household. We walk, we open a cupboard that's full of food. 
we look at it and we go, oh, I really don't want to cook. So when our spouse walks by, we're like, we, we don't have anything. Maybe we should order a pizza. Get some Chinese, do something, you know, because like, it's not that we don't have anything. And, you know, in our mind, we're like, I don't have anything. It's just that we, we don't want to cook or we don't want to do anything in the moment. So we act like, but do you realize around the world, there's many people, they open up their cupboards and they look, it's not the question of what will I eat, it's will I eat. There's a sacredness that comes whenever you eat, realizing God provided this for me. That in this moment, my life is literally sustained by him. And that as I eat this, it's a reflection of something even more. I want you to read with me these words. It says, first, he bakes something of himself, being God. His worth, his mouth-watering glory into everything that we eat. Nothing that we consume is silent about God. That's a powerful line. Every bite beckons us to enjoy something sweeter, more satisfying, more soul-sustaining. Him. The creation of food, tongues, and the human digestive system is the product of infinite wisdom knitting the world together into a harmonious whole, writes Joe Rigney. The variety of tastes creates categories and gives us edible images of divine things. Whenever you eat, whether you realize it or not, you are recognizing God's provision and care for your life. The power of praying, God, give us this day our daily bread. The power of praying that prayer is it refocuses our hearts and our trust and obedience into his lordship. God, everything that I have is not my own, it's yours. You've given it to me. We're stewards. Can I tell you something? There's nothing that you actually own. It's all God's. We then, see the problem is this, is that so often we can get distracted from the now by always thinking of the then. We're always thinking of like, okay, I'm stressed, I'm worried. Like, do I have enough money or to do this or to do that and this and that and then, and then and we're thinking of all these different places and things we want to do and whatever. The beauty of this prayer is it centers our heart back on now. God, give me today my daily bread. Today, be with me. Today, provide for my needs. Today, let your presence be here. Because when we do that, that's where it causes thanksgiving. Again, around the world, it's not what will I eat, but will I eat. There's a thankfulness that comes from realizing our next meal is not actually guaranteed. But it comes from his hand. And that that meal can bring joy. The joy of the company that's present with us, the community, the communion. And it has physical effects on us. Again, you know, your spouse, they're a different person pre and post meal. There's replenishment, there's revitalization, there's strength to the muscles. But I say all this because the meal is a shadow. It's a presentation, again, of something that's concrete, that's understood, that conveys a deeper truth that's just as, if not more real, than the one already present and understood. You, every single day, need to eat. I keep telling my children that. They don't believe me. I get to mealtime and I'm like, Calvin, I beg you, I plead with you, eat something. <laughs> we do. 
to survive. If you quit eating and you say, for the rest of my life, I'm never going to eat again, you will die. Correct? You need it. The meal is a shadow. I need God. I need the bread of his presence every single day. I need Jesus to be with me. Again, going back to Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days without food, I'd have lasted like four. And then Satan comes after day 40. Satan comes to him and tempts him, and he's like, hey, see that stone up there? Just command it. Make it a piece of bread. I'm telling you right now, your pastor, after day 40, I'm like, stone. <laughs> Steak, not bread. (laughs) Big old cow. (laughs) Jesus, though, he looks at the enemy and he goes, no, 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 man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, what Jesus was conveying is more than our physical bodies even desperately need bread, our spiritual bodies desperately need him. The meal was a shadow to his spiritual truth. Read with me from Marshall Seagal. He says, our sense of hunger and thirst, they're divinely designed to highlight the soul's hunger for spiritual food. Apart from our experience of empty stomachs and parched throats, of full bellies and quenched thirsts, and the incredible variety of taste, our spiritual lives would be impoverished and we'd have no real vocabulary for spiritual desire. No mental and emotional framework for engaging with God. God wants what we eat to make us hungry for him. We often eat just to make our hunger go away. What if we ate instead to try and taste and see and enjoy the God who feeds us? Again, it's a shadow. In prayer, in feasting on the presence of God, the bread of life, we revitalize and energize our soul and our lives. We give God thanks for it. There's joy of being in his presence. There's the aspect of being replenished by his spirit. In the same manner that physical bread is not a need, I'm sorry, it is a need, not a want. The same is true. Our daily spiritual bread is a need. It is not a want. Imagine your kid walked up to you and was like, hey, mom and dad, I've got this plan. I've decided One day a week, one meal, I'm going to feast as much as I possibly can and eat nothing else the rest of the week, (laughs) the rest of my life. You'd be like, nope. But can I tell you, sometimes we try to do that with God. We try to show up at church. I'm going to feast like crazy, but then I'm going to have a drought the rest of the week. We need to be like Daniel. Do you realize Daniel's life was crazy? It was hectic. He was like leading an entire nation. And it says that he spent three times a day in the presence of God. And that's how they tried to get him. But it was because he was feasting on the presence of God that when the enemy came, he had the power to overcome. See, the question I have for us today is this. Are you feeding your soul? It's a very serious question. 
Physically speaking, there are serious and dire consequences whenever we neglect to eat. The same is true for us spiritually. We need to be in his word. We need to be in prayer and in his presence because we are going to be facing some of the worst that this world and the enemy can throw our way. So there's this moment, right? Jesus is teaching this prayer, and something happens, and we're kind of like, Whoa, that was a weird 180, right? He says, give us today our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, forgive us of our debts, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're like, wait a second. That's a weird 180, God. <laughs> Give me some Asiago bread and forgive my sins? Like, what's going on here? Like, what's with this shift? Like, why are these two connected? Or how are they connected? Or why are they connected? Forgive us of our sin as we forgive those. Depending on what kind of denomination you grew up in, it might be sin, it might be debt, or it might be trespasses based on how you say the Lord's Prayer, Okay. There's a variety of words that people use here, and most of them are actually right. The actual word, whenever you trace it back to um, the Greek, it's, it's the word debt. But later in that same text, it's given a further nuance. Um, it's not necessarily indicating even a financial debt, but a spiritual one. Read with me um, these words from John Piper. It says, the very first thing that Jesus did after reciting this prayer is expound on the importance of forgiveness. And to really drive home what he meant, he purposely chose a different word for sin with a different nuance than the one that he used in the prayer. Matthew chose the Greek word parapatoma to capture Jesus' intention in those verses, which in the context means a kind of sin that oversteps prescribed limits or boundaries, what we would call a trespass. But trespassing hits us differently especially when someone commits it against us. A trespasser occupies a realm or exercises a right that rightfully belongs to someone else. A trespasser violates another person. This can be very damaging. In fact, it can even rise to the level of treason and result in a sentence of capital punishment. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden and what we have all done since. We have not merely borrowed from God an unpayable debt for which we appeal for bankruptcy protection. We have seized a realm and we've exercised a right that belonged to him. We have violated God. We've committed a treasonous trespass and we owe the debt of treason, which is death. Forgive us this, give us this day our daily bread and forgive those who trespass against us. How did Jesus highlight this? Well, there's a really interesting story. Again, remember, Jesus would often use a tangible physical example to explain a spiritual principle. Jesus told a parable. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. I want you to take a moment with me and think of the biggest number you can possibly comprehend. Just take it seriously. Put, put the number in your head. Put the number in the zeros that follow it. Right, I think it was Jonathan Benham uh, in the first service told me something about like 83 quintillion to the 10th power. And I was like, you took that big time. That's a big number, right? Like I, I, was, I just stayed at like 3 billion. That's a number I can't even fathom. I can't fathom 1 billion, let alone 3 billion. But imagine you owed 3 
billion dollars to someone. I can't even. <laughs> like, that's, that's insane. The picture Jesus gives is essentially the servant owes something like that kind of a debt. And he goes to his master, and his master brings him in, and he's like, hey, hey, I, I need the debt that you owe me. And he goes, oh, master, please, please forgive me. You don't understand. There's no, like, uh, if you'll just give me time, I'll pay it back. Nope, you ain't. <laughs> like you, seriously, you can't pay back $3 billion. I could work the rest of my life never sleeping once, and I can't pay back $3 billion. It ain't happening. But he goes to his master, and he's like, Master, please forgive me. I'm begging you. Like, just give me time. Like, like don't, don't sell me into slavery. Don't send my family into prison. Like, don't do all these horrible things. Like, like please forgive my debt. Like, help me. I, I'll help you. Like, I'll get it back. Now, we would think that, like, the king would maybe be like, okay, I'll have some mercy. You can work the rest of your life, and all the money you get can kind of come back to me to pay back the debt. No, the king looks at him, and he goes, okay, your debt's canceled. Not that you have to pay it back. Your debt is cleared. Can you imagine owing someone $3 billion and them looking at you? You're clear. Oh, the joy of that moment. Right? Like you'd be doing like an Irish jig, like <laughs> walking out of the room. Like that's amazing. <clears throat> Walks out of the room. Gets out there, right? There should be a moment of like astounding, mind-blown like moment of like, I cannot believe what the king has done in this moment. But instead, the servant, he walks out and he walks up to one of his other buddies in the streets and he goes, hey, hey, I bought you Subway last week. You used to be able to buy a foot long for five bucks. <laughs> Inflation, it's now 12 <laughs> You owe me 12 bucks. Where's my subway money? And the guy's like, oh, man, look, I don't got the 12 bucks on me. Like, just give me some time. Like, give me a couple days. I'll, I'll work real hard. I'll get you your subway money, man. Like, I promise. And, and the guy's like, no, I want it now. Give me my subway money. And he's like, I don't got it. Just give me some time. And he's like, no. And he calls the authorities, and he has that person who owed him 12 bucks thrown into prison. What do you think happens? Jesus goes, well, the word gets back to the king. Can you imagine you cleared someone of $3 billion and they threw someone into prison for 12 bucks? What's your reaction going to be? Not good. <clears throat> king brings the ungrateful servant, unforgiving servant back into his presence and he's like, excuse me, I cleared you of $3 billion. And you wouldn't forgive 12 bucks? He says, get out of my presence. Lock him up, throw him into prison where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth because he obviously doesn't understand his king. See, the truth is this. Um, we need to see the connectedness between our daily bread and forgiveness. The daily bread, it's a need in our life, not a want. <clears throat> It must be done constantly and not neglected. What we eat matters. It strengthens and empowers our life. The spiritual bread of being in the presence of God empowers us to live out the kingdom of God in our lives. And one of the greatest proofs that we have feasted correctly is forgiveness. It just got real, didn't it? 
Can I tell you something? Just hear me for a second. Forgiveness does not excuse or free the person from what they've done. Please hear your pastor this morning. He is not saying, do you listen, you need to forgive that person and put yourself right back in the spot so they can hurt you again. Eh -eh. Nope. That's not in scripture. That's not what you're supposed to do. Some of you in this room, you've been through some real stuff. It might have been like abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. There's some things that you've gone through that is wicked. Listen, this is, a, this is a horribly jacked up and wicked world, amen? I mean, it's bad. There's some things that have happened in your life. I am not telling you that you have to put yourself back in that same situation again to be hurt and wounded. But can I tell you something? You are biblically commanded to forgive. And there's a reason for it. Because it's not for them, it's for you. Anybody in here ever had food poisoning? Oh, man. I had bad Chinese once. I thought I was going to die, and I wished I would. It was bad. I remember for like three days straight, like I slept in the bathroom. Like there was my pillow, and there was the porcelain throne, (laughs) right? We were close. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. When we feast on poison, it affects us dramatically. And can I tell you something? Listen to me. Your enemy loves you to feast on unforgiveness. And can I tell you something? It tastes good too. Oh, does it not taste good? He comes up to you with a platter that's just beautifully decorated and goes, do you know what they did to you? Do you know how they hurt you? Let's talk about it. Let's think about it. What would you like to see done to them? What would you wish be done to them? And it's like he's dangling grapes right over our face. Just, just take some bites. Let's eat up a little bit. But what he's doing is he's wanting you to feast on poison. He's wanting you to focus on and remember what they've done and forget what your king has done. Peter, this one moment, he comes up to Jesus. Does not say it in the text, so I can't prove this to you. But I think one of the disciples was annoying Peter. I'm just being honest. Comes up to Jesus and he's like, how many times do I got to forgive? Because James is getting on my nerves, right? (laughs) I don't know. I'm just saying, I think, right? And so he comes up to him and he's like, all right, I, I... I know I'm one of your disciples, so it's probably got to be more than one. So, like, do I got to do it, like, twice? Do I got to do it, like, three times? Do I got to do it four times? He's like, God's number is seven. I got him. Jesus, do I got to forgive him seven times? Right? And he's like, I did it. I got the golden number. James is close. He's at six. (laughs) Jesus looks at him, and he's like, no. Take your seven and multiply it by 70. The point Jesus is making is you live in a broken world. Every person you come into contact with has made countless mistakes and they're going to hurt you. They're going to abuse you. Even people that love you. We got to be people who are good at forgiveness. you got to be good at forgiveness because God's restoring your soul. Forgiveness is about setting you free, not them. 
Because let me tell you something. Listen to me. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If they don't get their act right and they don't get right with God, listen to me. The worst thing that you could possibly imagine for them, they ain't as bad as hell. But forgiveness sets you free. It releases you and unlocks your heart. Because seriously, when you're, when you're feasting on poison, it's jacking you up from the inside out. And it is affecting you. It's affecting your relationships, whether you want to believe it or not. The bitterness and anger and hatred that you have locked away in your heart, listen to me, it is changing you because you're feasting on the poison of the enemy rather than the presence of the king. What presence do you want to feast on? What bread do you want to eat? His or God's? I can tell you something. <clears throat> we need to feast on the presence of God. He is the bread of heaven. So let's go back to our needs. Thinking back to the TV show alone. There's a prioritization of everything that is vital. They, they focus on what do I need to survive we are commanded to ask God to meet our physical and spiritual needs. God, feed me bread every day. I need to survive, but also feed me your presence every day. I need it to survive. We need his spiritual bread because we cannot be forgiving people without it. I can't. I don't have it in me. And I don't think you do either. Apart from his daily presence, we do not have the... Sometimes, listen to me. I think there's a second thing here too, right? The Lord's Prayer is one that I think we should pray every day. I think there's something about saying, God, help me today forgive. Because sometimes there's a wound that goes so deep, you need to forgive it every day. You know what I'm talking about? They cut you so deep, they hurt you so deep, that every day you got to wake up and be reminded, no, God, you know what? I'm putting that down. I forgive. I choose forgiveness, even though it's hard. Jesus, help me in this moment. Help me to forgive them today, again today. And God, I might need your help tomorrow again. Because the wound is so deep. Because <clears throat> the truth is this. I'm just being honest with you. Feasting wrong will lead to death. Jesus is clear. If forgiveness is not happening, he is not our king. If hatred, not love, is present... If forgiveness, not forget, sorry, if unforgiveness, not forgiveness is what we choose, we are saying, Jesus, I'm more important than you. You command me to forgive, forget it. I know better. You've forgiven me three billion. Yeah, but I'm more important than you, so I, I can choose not to forgive the, the subway money. It means that we've been feasting, <clears throat> but we've been feasting on poison, not on his presence. The presence of Jesus empowers us towards forgiveness and restoration. Therefore, if that desire is not present in our lives, if we are longing to hang on to bitterness, if we choose unforgiveness, the natural question we have to ask is what spirit are you feeding on? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it the spirit of the enemy? And the result will be deadly. If you don't believe your pastor, then listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, 14 through 15. If you forgive those who sit against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Let me explain that a little bit further using the words of John Piper. 
If we hold fast to an unforgiving spirit, we will not be forgiven by God. If we continue on in that way, then we will not go to heaven. Because heaven is the dwelling place of forgiven people. The reason is not because we can earn heaven or merit heaven by forgiving others. Please hear me on that because that's very important. You cannot earn heaven. No one can. It's not like a checklist where like, okay, I forgave and so this is why I now earn heaven. Listen to what he says. But because holding fast to an unforgiving spirit, it proves we don't trust Christ. If we trust him, we will not spurn his way of life. If we trust him, we will not be able to take forgiveness from his hand for our million-dollar debt and withhold it from our ten-dollar debtor. So let me close with this. Two questions. What are you feeding on? Are you feeding your soul? Are you feeding it on his presence? Are you daily going into his presence saying, Jesus, I need you. I desperately need your presence. God, I need your word today. I need, I need to grow in my relationship with you. God, I, I need you. We need it in those moments. Are you feeding yourself every day? Are you going to God saying, God, I don't need just Taco Bell. I need you. Are you feeding your soul? Secondly, what are you feeding on? If I'm being honest to you, there's been times in my life I have absolutely feasted on the poison of the enemy. Oh, man. I bought hook, line, and sinker. I've hated people. And I've had to ask forgiveness for that. There's someone who hurt someone so dear to me that like for the longest time, I was like literally totally cool if they just died. It's a terrible, terrible thing to say. And I'll never remember, and and this was as a pastor I remember I was at a student P3 night. It was a prayer praise and pizza. And I was doing my pastoral thing. And I had been living with anger for a while and just kind of dealing with it. You know, I, I would push it under with like religious talk and blah, 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 and all these other things. And I remember I went to the altar and I just finished praying with a student. And I was like, oh, I probably should pray myself. <laughs> so I go to the altar and I pray. And out of the way, the Holy Spirit's like, Josh, you have unforgiveness in your heart. And I'm like, nope, we're not going to talk about that. Let's, um, oh, cool, Oceans is on. You call me on. Tried to do the whole, like, Christian, you know, whatever, and God's like, nope, this song's not for you. Deal with your heart, Josh. And I sat there, and I'm like, God, I have so much anger, and I feel justified because of what they've done. And God's like, I know, but you let me deal with them. You deal with you. And so I, I did like a quick little like whisper in my spirit. God, I forgive them. And God goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> He's like, I want you to hear your voice out loud say it. And I sat there at that altar and I said, in the name of Jesus, God, I forgive blank. And I said their name. 
and it was like someone had walked to my back and picked 100 pounds off of me. And then God goes, now, pray for them. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> and God's like, no, because it's not about them, it's about you. And I started to weep because I realized the true depths of my sin in that moment. Oh, they hurt. They had committed sin. They had hurt the person that I loved dearly. But I had not seen the monster that I had allowed to grow in my heart. And so I prayed. I said, God, I pray, would you, would you get a hold of them? Will you do what only you can do in their life? I'm not letting them back in my life. <laughs> I'm not going to get wounded again, but Jesus, do something in them. I know it's real in this room. Some of you, listen to me, you've been through some stuff. It might be sexual abuse. It might be physical abuse. It might be the abandonment of uh, your parent. It might be uh, the abandonment of a spouse. It might be um, the pain. That, let's do real talk here for Second Church. Come on, there's some wounds in this room. There's some deep soul wounds, stuff that like, this is not like the normal, ordinary. We're talking like cut to the core of who you are. I get it. But the spirit of God is in this place and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And what forgiveness is, is forgiveness gives you the key to the cell of your heart and allows you to unlock it. <clears throat> Because right now, your hatred is a prison that's binding you in your relationships and your future. It will hold you back from what God has in store for you. Because what it says is, don't you dare be a part of kingdom business and what the king is about. Because the king is full of grace and mercy. Listen to me. I have, oh man, if I were to try to air the laundry list of my sins, how long that would take. I've got the $3 billion debt. I've got it. And he's not looking at me and saying, son, you need to work that off. He said, son, it's clear. Are you aware of how forgiven you are by the king? Are you aware of how much he has loved you, forgiven you, rescued you from? The natural heart of the forgiven is to forgive. So here's how I want us to do it. I want us to stand to our feet. We're going to bring the lights down. God brought you here today. And he's been mighty at work in both services. <clears throat> and hear your pastor for just a moment, please. Just hear my words. Don't run from this. I know it's scary. Part of you goes, I don't know who I am if I really do let this go. Part of you goes, <clears throat> they don't deserve it. Can I tell you something? You are absolutely right. They don't. Can we be real in this room? They don't. 
But then again, neither did I when my king forgave me. Your forgiveness is not justifying what they did, nor is it releasing them from it. Your forgiveness is saying, my heart's going to reflect my king, not my enemy. The gospel will be present in my life, not the gospel of the enemy. And I want a future that reveals his love through my life. So that's what I want to do. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. This is a you and Jesus moment. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call you out. But I do believe this. I believe in just a second when I ask you if you raise your hand that it's a moment. It's a sign of surrender. There is a physical action that is reflecting a spiritual heart. And in that moment, we are praying and believing that there will be healing that takes place in this room. If you're here today and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you know that you know that you know, man, they hurt you deep. Like deep, deep. But you know that today the Holy Spirit's whispering it. It's time for you to choose forgiveness. And you're saying, God, today I want my heart to reflect yours. God, I want my life to be about the gospel. I'm tired of feasting on poison. Help me today. I'm just being honest here in just a moment. I believe there's going to be freedom in this room. I do believe it. So if you're here today and you're saying, I feel like the Holy Spirit's whispering me and it's time for me to forgive, I just want you to raise your hand in the air. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all around this room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now let me pray for you. You can put your hand down. You might have to pray every day for a while asking God, help me to forgive. That's okay. Jesus taught us to pray like that. But trust in him. Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for every person in this room. God, I pray that we would feast on your presence, that God, you would be so real this year. Jesus, we invite you to come. We invite you to speak. We invite you to move in our midst, to change us, to make us more like you. But God, right now in this room, there is real wounds, real pain, real, Lord, cuts that are deeper than we could even possibly imagine that has cost across our heart at the soul level. And God, we are asking and inviting your precious Holy Spirit to revive, to restore, and to heal us. God, let freedom that comes from forgiveness flow in this room. God, in the name of Jesus, we forgive those who have hurt us, not because they deserve it, not even because they've asked for it, But Lord, we do so because we recognize, oh, the debt that you have forgiven us. And God, I might need to ask for it every single day for the next month or year or two years or 10 years. But God, today I choose forgiveness. Make my heart reflect your heart. Make my life reflect it. I'm not putting myself in a place where they can hurt me again, but I forgive them. Lord, we pray that freedom would erupt and flow in this place because your presence is here. 
that you would do what only you can do. We ask this, Jesus, that you would just do something in us this year. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Before the band leads us in this song, there's just two quick things I want to let you know of. We're going to sing because I think singing is a proper response to what Jesus is doing in this moment. Two quick things. Number one, spiritual formation in the home. I plead with you. Sign up. If you've got kids, this is a great opportunity. Uh, we're, we don't ever provide childcare for deeper, but for this one, we're gonna. Five sessions, if you've got kids, bring them. We'll watch them so you can be a part of this. Um, second thing is this. We're close to the end of this sermon series. The next sermon series is gonna be one of the most important sermon series that I've ever preached. It's gonna be a series called Taking Ground. And it's a series that is designed to propel us as a church into what God is calling us to for us individually, but also for us corporately, because I believe that this is the year of the Lord's favor, that we are this year that God is calling us to take ground in our lives, in forgiveness, in the things that he's challenging. My prayer for you is that this would be a year of such spiritual growth, it would astound you that on December 31st, 2023, you will look back at the 365 days and go, man, God did some huge things in my life. We're going to, in this series, look at what does it look like to take ground. I plead with you, find a way to get here and bring someone with you. Because we are, we're going to pray and we're going to believe and we're going to ask God for some big, big things. But I want to close today with worship where we invite God and realize, God, you are here again. And I'm not forsaken. And let's seal what God has done in us today.